Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. This episode is my monthly conversation with fellow MVP Norm Young on the latest in collaboration insights and automation, focusing today on preparing for Copilot and the news surrounding OpenAI. Let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Norm Young, a Microsoft MVP and a senior strategic consultant at AppPoint. Welcome, Norm. Thank you, Christian. Great to be back. This is our monthly discussion of uh, insights and automation, and our focus today is, I know this is going to shock everybody, we're going to talk about Copilot. Dun, dun, um, dun. <laughs> we should have a co-pilot theme song, dramatic squirrel or dramatic chipmunk, whatever that creature was. Yes. Uh, our focus today is on the co-pilot hype cycle. So we're going to talk about that yeah. uh, and preparing for co-pilot, which is an important thing to do as well. And then there's some news, breaking news around open AI. So we'll be talking about that by the time this goes live. Of course, things may have been ironed out and fixed and back to normal who knows but we're going to talk about that yeah so <clears throat> yeah we just had ignite we just had ignite announcements of, of copilot we also we also hit that november 1st general availability date for microsoft copilot yes which means the the marketing machine was hard at work and you know those of us who are hoping to see something new land in our tenant or on our device were eagerly waiting for sometime in November 1st. Uh, November 1st had come and gone for me and alas there was no nothing in my tenants either work or or personal and what? nothing on my device. What? So right now it's still this uh, um, Thing that I'm only seeing other people use, but I am getting some uh, firsthand feedback that it's helping them get over like the blank slate syndrome. It's helping them prioritize work. I'm having other people, uh, most recently as this past weekend, saying that it's it was great at first, but now it's taking a little bit effort to learn how to use this new tool, new interface, that- and, and really a new way of working. That is a key part of this, and it was mentioned a few times during Ignite. Uh, and, and just so, and for we clarify for everybody, and, and uh, neither Norm nor I uh, uh, participated directly in Ignite. I was at another conference, so we were kind of in, sitting in the booth, trying to watch some of the keynotes, pay attention to announcements around that. Um, but what I recommend, and I'll provide a link as well in the liner notes, is to check out the Book of News. Mm-hmm. So all of the announcements made. If you're not familiar with that, it's usually a couple times a year during Ignite, uh, during uh, uh, Inspire, so the partner conference. I don't think they do it for Build, though. The Build Book of News? I don't, I don't think, I think so. That's, I think, it's just I think that's a thing. Partner conference. So I, I don't know. Anyway, I just haven't paid attention because I'm not a Build attendee. Uh, I, I've been a couple times, but... I was there for the swag and to participate as an MVP. In the <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, now, but this, you know, check out the book of news. There's something like, I mean, going through and one of the first things I did was search the book of news. We were looking for 
the word governance, and it appeared a couple times. And there were some announcements in the book of news, like the SharePoint premium, mm-hmm. and it talked just at a high level about governance, but not really. Um, and then there was something co-pilot governance related. Again, there wasn't a lot of detail. There was nothing really to, not, not enough for me to update you here, but um, but you could check that out. It's always online. It it they they deliver the book of news like the at the hour of the keynotes generally. So you can read along and follow along as they're talking about the latest announcements and go through this the digital you know document and see the exact press releases about what they're talking about, which is great. Yeah, I, I do I do like that they put that together. It's it's almost like reviewing the message center, but with the, the quick access to the the associated blogs or some of the, the marketing materials to help visualize or or prove out the value uh, statement for each of those features. And it's a significant amount, like it is pages and pages across the the M365 and Azure stack of things. And uh, like I glance through it and I cherry pick what I want to read and I'm able to go into it. But the, the thing that I take away from the book of news is just the volume of co-pilot, excuse me, co-pilot related announcements yeah. coming to all of our favorite apps and services. Like it's, it's more what's not being affected by co-pilot. Right. Yeah. There were in the, in this, ep, the, on this, this edition of book of news. Yeah. There were, uh, I think uh, so. My my uh, fellow MVP and uh, at, at uh, Rencore, uh, Ragnar Heil out of Germany, I think he counted 280 mentions of Copilot wow. out of the Book of News. So yeah, I mean it's it's dominated there, and and most of the discussions. I mean obviously with the investments Microsoft is making, not a surprise uh, there. But um, the you know they're started to see like two threads of conversations happening around co-pilot stuff. And um, I heard uh, there are a couple of other MVPs. We did a little gathering. We went out to dinner uh, in Orlando. I attended the uh, Live 360 event, which was fantastic. It actually beat our expectations, about 1,200 attendees there. It was a great event. I haven't attended that event in like seven or eight years. It's been a while, Um, maybe even longer than that. I think, yeah, anyway, it's been a while. Um, So great event. Um, a lot of booth activity, great conversations, all that. Um, but we were talking about, you know, the hype around mm-hmm. Copilot. And then the second topic, which we're going to talk about in a minute too, is like preparing for Copilot and what does that actually mean? Um, yeah, I mean, the the hype cycle around it. I mean, it's, you know, you, <laughs> you have to understand too that f- fundamentally this event, uh, Ignite, is a marketing event for Microsoft. They're pushing out, you know, the the news, the latest, and and I mean, I my first thing I look at with stuff like this is is trying to understand how much of this is real. Yeah, how much is it? It's actually available that people can put their hands on and around. Like you said, like it's supposed to be GA. What's out there? You know, wh- when do we get access to this? Um, when does stuff actually hit my tenant? There's always a delayed response when stuff gets live goes live anyway. Um, but then there's you know, a lot of people that didn't understand until Ignite about the 300 person in an organization limitation. It's for larger enterprises. That's right. Pilot. And and that that infers a couple things: uh, <laughs> budget, maturity, and so the 
The budget thing is an interesting question. Uh, 300 people minimum, as you said. Uh, I believe the license is $30 per user per month, US. Correct. And, and Which, so, by the way, I, so I didn't realize this until a couple few weeks back that that was the pricing that Google announced for their uh, competitive solution as well. Also 30 bucks a user a month. So not thinking like, hey, I'm gonna go get similar capability elsewhere, not that you would for Microsoft platform, but just to put it in perspective, same pricing hmm. coming from them. I didn't know that. But yeah. when I think of the price, you know, can can I can I evaluate that thirty dollars for myself each month and get the value out of that and come up with specific use cases for my own professional well-being like being, excuse me. And I and I gotta say that uh, the the promise for me is going to be fulfilled in teams with the uh, and in Outlook where I'll have the ability to follow a meeting, not attend it, but just it yeah. gives me the meeting recaps yep. and it can give me a summary, action items, who said what. Uh, in Teams, summarizing a, a chat conversation that I haven't been able to keep up with because of maybe the, the velocity of the conversation. Or uh, even the simple things like uh, uh, consolidating to-dos. And, and I think the, the thing that adds a lot of trust for me is the, uh, the, the, the references that it will give in Copilot saying like, Christian said, assign task A to Norm, and then you can jump to that point of the transcript or the conversation or the email, whatever it is. So in that regard, I think it's going to be incredibly valuable just, just on the communications front. The other areas, I mean, they're, I, I don't know yet. Like, I, I don't know if I'm just going to let Copilot create a, a SharePoint site page for me. I don't know if Co I'm going to let Copilot go create a Power Automate flow for me. Those those areas I still need to explore and test because the, the learning curve trust. is using. Yeah, the, absolutely. Well, there's trust, but there's also this new way of of working with Copilot, this um, the prompt, prompt engineering, whatever you want to call it. But knowing how to communicate uh, it's going to be a big thing. And it, it, it cracks me up because years ago there was, uh, in, in, in the SQL Server world, there was something called uh, uh, natural query language. It, it was great as long as you knew what that language was, but it was very specific to the, the vendor who wrote the product. And it's not really natural. I mean, and that is the, the, the big jump to where we are now with Copilot and these other generative uh, AI models is being able to actually have a conversation, but still, you, if you don't know to articulate all of the the details, you may not get the detailed either response or the the output or whatever you're looking for. So when you think about that that price tag, which I think is going to be steep for some organizations, do you see that thirty dollars per month being uh, acceptable for you, Christian? I am happy to pay that because of what you've just described. Uh, I so I can see the benefit for smaller organizations. And I would I would pay more as a smaller organization to get some of that capability because I think that's a big enough value add to, just from what you've described. I was gonna, uh, two links I'm gonna include, because you touched on another point, I think is something that I did catch uh, the entire video for uh, one of the keynotes. Uh, but one, uh, the first thing I was gonna say is that we're, uh, for, for people that aren't sure, like it's not clear like what, 
Norm is talking about, uh, about like the meeting summarization. It, it goes back to, I've talked about this in past episodes. I think Norm, you and I have talked about this. It was the old future of meetings video. I think it was at build where they had it on stage. They had like a fake little conference room and they were showing kind of, you know, what AI would do before the meeting to remind you once it's in there, tracking and capturing all that the info. And then afterwards, capturing like, what were my takeaways? Oh yeah, no, I got those two tasks, those those two assignments, but I missed that third one. And I, and the automatic follow-ups and to-dos and kind of all that planning. And we're, we're finally moving into that vision of the future of meetings. And, and my thought is just that I've worked in some organizations, I've had some managers who are like, we're sitting in a meeting, like no laptops or laptops down. Like, I want you to be engaged, which yep. I completely agree with. But then everybody's has their pencils or pens down on paper, taking notes, capturing stuff. Did I capture all of this? Um, if they're engaged in the conversation, they're not taking notes. So to have that AI capability, capturing that, summarizing that, reminding me of the important points that that I may have been in a sidebar conversation and missed that point that was made mm -hmm. um, is just incredibly powerful. I'm excited about that. The other point you made in the video that I watched, one of the keynotes was um, uh, Hanselman was, I think it was one of the keynotes or might've just been one of his other sessions. I'll find it. I'll have it in the liner notes, the um, where he was him and another uh, 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 senior uh, developer. He was talking about kind of the point you made when we started it, that it's, it's a new, interface it's a new way of working accessing our technology getting work done and it's going to take time to learn how to get the most out of it if you've been playing with chat gpt you can go in and just use it like google search post questions and you'll get limited information well in this in this talk hanselman was going through and was talking about trying to like taking it from a developer's perspective mm -hmm. and say, let me show you how it learns, how, how the inputs, the descriptions, the definitions, how it in the, the more, the quality of the question of the inputs improve the quality of the outputs. And it's, right. it's just, yeah. And, and so it's just a different way of thinking about that. Like there are, there are now dozens of guides out there. I know hundreds of guides probably of how to get the most out of chat GPT. Like I, yeah, early on, I paid for one. I still have it open in my browser. In fact, uh, who authored this one? It's actually really good. It's uh, called the art of chat GPT prompting a guide to crafting clear and effective prompts by faith Kadir akin. And I'll provide a link to this. I've got it now open. I'm inside the, mm -hmm. the digital doc, but it's a really good resource, but that, you know, so I've had this for months and it's helped me get past very quickly kind of the basics of how to get more than just a simple search result out of it. Uh, start yeah. leveraging that. Uh, I'm seeing uh, on the power platform side that community contributors are are building prompt repositories i think there's even an open source project where you can 
it's like a template that you can deploy to your your own environment and you can start storing the ones that work for you and your organization and so there's yeah there's, there's, there's parts of good, yeah. good innovation happening in that that space for sure yeah and it's great that they're capturing it and uh, for for reuse but and consistency but again it's it's forcing people to work in a consistent way so I'm finding, especially in the Power Platform side, the some of the co-pilot features that have landed, like in Power Apps and Power Automate that you can use, you know, they're they're not rooted in my data. They're rooted in publicly available information, like how to do the syntax for an expression, how how to create an action or something like that. And so, uh, very productive. You know, uh, here's my input data. This is what I want it to look like when it comes out. It figures out the expression. It's magical. And it's a huge time saver. But there, there's the element now where it's relying on my data to give me the the answers or the to-dos or the action items or the meeting recap. So it's it's harvesting my data. Now, this is a different story. And it's one, I think, that is, is uh, should be uh, of, I don't want to say concern. I don't want to be a fear monger here, but it should have organizations pause to make sure that the information that's being mined out of these co-pilot models is of the quality that they expect. And it's not going to be just that lift and shift information that you did when the pandemic hit, where you just grabbed everything up your file shares to get online, uh, and you just kind of went with the flow for the past couple of years. Like, no, you, you may have some information in those areas that you were not aware of, that you had forgotten of, that are obscure now, and you've forgotten about. And it reminds me of what Dell was like so many years ago when that first came on. And, you know, it was once thought of security by obscurity. And now, you know, I can see everything that my coworkers are working on, yep. other departments, your boss even, and that could, uh, it did lead to uh, concern uh, to make sure that we weren't overexposing uh, information because we weren't having the right uh, controls or due diligence in place. So, and as and as and as exciting and technologically advanced as Copilot is, we're having to take a couple steps back from this technology acceleration that we've experienced the last couple of years to get back to grassroots fundamentals, things that, you know, should be cornerstones of knowledge management, governance, and so on. Yeah, it, it's a, I think you nailed it too, that uh, it, the comparison with Delve, I think, because we're, we're, we are going to, this is exactly like the Delve experience in that uh, it is going to highlight your flaws in your security, your data security, um, your permission structure. Um, again, it's like, and for folks that don't know what we're talking about too, it's, it, uh, you know, with as, you know, coming from both, you know, from the SharePoint space, as search improved in SharePoint, in intranets, um, we we saw this cycle and and the 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 biggest jump happened with the SharePoint 2010 with the integration of the fast search acquisition by Microsoft where uh, I mean I heard customers saying frequently like search is broken people are saying things they shouldn't see it's like no search is now working 
properly <laughs> is that you know security by obscurity um you know you weren't able to see it because you didn't know how to get to it it was all the flaw was always there um you need to properly structure your data protect your data um and delve caused some similar problems the other parallel with delve is that you know, maybe not so much. I mean, one of the problems with Delve is that you turned it on. Delve needed to learn. It needed time to adjust and grow um, it with usage as it, you know, learned. Um, and it, so it was pretty useless when you just flipped it on with without, you know, uh, training it. And Copilot may have a little bit of that, but I think you'll get value day one out of so many of its capabilities. But again, you have to train it. You have to teach it. You have to clean it up. So, which kind of leads into our, our second topic, and there's a few folks talking about there, but is that, you know, how do you prepare your data? I, when, I mean, if people started asking you that question, have you had that conversation with anybody about preparing, like, what do you need to do? Well, there's the, the traditional approaches that we touched on that you typically find in governance activities and um, Specifically, I, I would think that um, organizations might want to look at their archival processes to get rid of information that is no longer relevant or might not be the right quality. Um, I don't know if the, the security thing may not be as, as bad as, as data quality, uh, but it's definitely a concern. Um, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's like a, it's the time of despair uh, where you have to just put the brakes on everything. But I, I do think you need to acknowledge that you might be getting results that are are not ideal. Yeah. You, you see it every day, the sprawl that you have in in teams and SharePoint with like named projects or like like named functions within the organization. And there's this duplication of data. Which one's right? What's the single source of truth? And this is the this has been an ongoing challenge for knowledge knowledge managers since the the start of you know digital well, that, knowledge management. But well, that's the thing. It's, it's, these are all like fundamental information architecture data cleanup, like uh, mm -hmm. you know naming conventions. I mean, there's there's value there in your classification model. I mean, how you're structuring your data, um, the permissions, making sure that people have the right licenses, the ability to get into the areas where the data is stored. Um, so, I mean, fundamentally, if, you're, if you've got a lot of this enterprise data, if it is, you're in the Microsoft ecosystem, mm -hmm. you're accessing data that's stored in SharePoint. If you're using Microsoft 365, it's likely all in SharePoint or in Azure blobs somewhere that you, um, you know, that people that are trying to access it have the right permissions. Yep, I think the, uh... Well, right from the get-go, being being very pragmatic, the the, the organizations that are look looking at Copilot right now, they probably already have a lot of this maturity milestones in place. Whether it's a governance framework or knowledge management frameworks, they have it. They can afford it. Uh, if they don't, they can still afford to get a governance program implemented. Um, and they probably have the licensing base licensing from Microsoft that would enable some of those core functions or they could afford some type of third party approach. All are good and well. I think one of the, the promising things is that what may have taken an organization years 
to accomplish with governance and knowledge management and that that ability to only move slow has come and gone with the pandemic people are able to pivot more they have more trust in their vendors and i don't think we need to like burn it to the ground and then build it back up again to make this knowledge framework i think there just needs to be some key guardrails and i really think archival of of stale information is one of those cornerstone activities the right security is always going to be uh, a paramount concern and then uh, that should enable success in these areas yeah you know, I, I so i i think we agree in that uh, like i always talk about the you know, the positive side of sprawl uh, is that people are using the system and they're creating artifacts. That's true. That's true. They're doing things in there, and and so you always have the um, that that is a, a better problem. I don't see harder or easier. It's a better problem to solve for than it is people not engaging, people not collaborating. Very true. Uh, there's a, there's there's more difficult problems in an organization where people aren't talking, working, collaborating. Yep. Um. So it's a good problem to have is sprawl, yep. um, but I mean, there's there's work to to do. There there is, uh, you know, the, the copilot uh, again. A mistake is made with you know back in the search days, people. It's the you know the garbage in, garbage out. I moved my yep. garbage. I was a hoarder before. I moved it. You, you okay? You're gonna come and move my house into the newer version of the intranet. I'm just going to shove all the garbage that you have stacked up to the ceiling in yep. boxes, move it and stack it to the ceiling in the new place. You're in a new house with garbage. You yep. hoarding is bad. Um, so there is value. There's benefit. It's necessary to get organized, but it is more of a, it's a way of life. And there are things that get better, you know, uh, your search results, the quality of that, the quality of the data, the lowered security profile by, you know, uh, uh, maintaining or not maintaining, but keeping data that should have been purged long ago, you know, data life cycles should be followed folks. Um, and, and, but you need to, so there's process, there's method, there's training, education of your workforce, kind of all those things. That's always going to be there the but i think you're you're right i i don't want to be on the side of in fact i heard this from a couple people there's a good friend former mvp and rd um paul swider uh interesting character brilliant mind and he he said one of the things that he was he's constantly frustrated about is is like the fear mongering around ai yep. and he's just like you know, you know stop it stop it people like it's so much more about the opportunity it is and i'm i'm very much on that side it's like look it's a you just have to understand it's it's not a new search engine it's a new user interface and you need to understand how to make the most out of it you can use it as a search interface and get minimal value out of it yeah. but once you learn to use it properly and then are cleaning up improving your data you're going to get more and more value out of that Agreed. Uh, one of the uh, the greatest takeaways for me with all of the announcements and the the, the readiness materials that exist is uh, is a very simple line. It's copilot, not autopilot. And yep. until you have that high trust 
in your organization's data, the data quality, then you can't just let it blindly do what you want it to do or you think it's going to do it. it you do have to take a moment and evaluate the content that it does provide. The underlying intention is to increase your productivity, not be your productive self. Like it's it's to add some value, not all the value. Yeah. I well, and I've said this all along. You know, we we've we both we've had these conversations. We've criticized Microsoft in the past for some of its naming teams. Come on. You yeah. know. <laughs> but um love the product, hate the name. Uh but no, I I, I think that was the appropriate name for the solution so um yeah uh, so that's really great uh, so i will i will say a couple resources um you know one i do have uh, uh so my company came out with a uh microsoft copilot readiness checklist that has a lot of what we've talked about as a few other things to think about um it's just a two-pager mm -hmm. um, but on also i again i mentioned matt wade i know did a a session so fellow mvp did a session at uh ignite I'll see if I can, I'll find that link if it's public, the recording, I'll see what I can find and attach that. If it, if it's not public, I'll reach out to Matt and see if he has anything that he's sharing uh, from that session, but I'll provide that link. Um, but I, in the time we have left on this general topic, there's also the news that's out there um, about open AI. I don't know if you've been following any of that, well, I, I see the headlines, but I, I won't pretend to understand the people, the, the the drama that may have ensued, but someone was removed, I guess, from their position in the OpenAI organization. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, so there's a lot of drama. So I've actually, I, I, I know it happened, um, what was it, three, four days ago, um, where uh, the co-founder of uh, of OpenAI, um, Sam Altman, was fired by the board, and I, I didn't understand why. I started, like so I opened up and read a couple articles and talked about. There's interesting things around it because there's one. There's like the the impact is like okay. Um, there's a whole shakeup. There's there's um, I mean articles out there on um, uh, uh, on you know, what's the potential impact with him gone? Um, there was news that Microsoft um, went and grabbed up both um, Altman and co-founder um, Brockman, mm. and they're joining Microsoft in a new AI uh, a, a initiative or department. I don't know if it's part of R&D or there's something like that was just announced. Um, my first response to all of this, um, was, uh, you know, Microsoft has invested so much. I mean, initially a billion dollar investment a few years back, what, five, six years ago. And uh, last year, is it last year? They did the 10 billion um, reinvested. So a lot of money has been invested by Microsoft in there. I cannot see Microsoft making that kind of investment, that deep, that close of a partnership without having some kind of protection in place. And if you've worked in the software industry and you understand, especially when uh, partnerships, like I'm in the channel side now, and I've got uh, you know uh, uh, potential partners that are asking, well, what's our recourse if you guys go under? And so there's 
there's there's different ways of uh, of handling that where sometimes you have like uh, you know kind of an uh, legal escrow of your source code. Mm-hmm. So if you go under that, they can continue supporting their clients. Like Microsoft may have that kind of arrangement with OpenAI. Like I don't know if if I'm not saying OpenAI is going anywhere. The board's still there, but when you have a large part or majority of the employees saying, bring Altman back or we will quit. That raises some eyebrows. Um, So there's that side of it. What's happening over there? The other part I didn't understand, I don't know if you've looked into this, is just the unique structure of OpenAI, like the nonprofit and the for-profit sections and and what the, the the board, what they're able to get involved with or not. And I said, so there's there's layers to this. It's not as simple as, you know, the, the co-founder of the company was was fired by the board. Like um the, the, there there's there's different things that are going on here. Um so I don't I don't purport to understand all of the layers either around that. But here's what I, I'll say like just like I said, I I'm I'm personally confident that Microsoft you know, had contingency plans in place with their investments. Um, my knowledge of how Microsoft works and how good their legal teams are around this, like I guarantee they had contingency plans in place. I, I think that the outcome of this could be, um, I don't think it does anything. At worst case, I think it could delay some co-pilot features and announcements. Um, at, while they kind of, you know, write themselves around that. The, the, I think that's worst case. Best case, Microsoft could pick up a whole lot of uh, knowledge, you know, mindshare people from this if it, you know, dissolves or or limps along. If, if you know, they've already, again, announced that they're, they've picked up Altman and Brockman um, and they could pull in a ton of mindshare from the employee base would be massive for Microsoft. I don't know that Microsoft wants to displace OpenAI. I don't think it makes sense for Microsoft to try to become like a, a neutral, you know, standard for AI around that because that would, you know, that would prevent a lot of large competing companies from investing and participating. Um, it would be biased towards the Microsoft ecosystem, right? Um, but uh, I think this could also really, you know, spark innovation and diversification of the mindshare uh, across the many players that are in this space. Microsoft and OpenAI are not the only ones. This is bigger than any one ecosystem, you know, one company. Leading, they were leaders. They were at the top of this, still are. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about them in the past. I'm not making predictions that they're going anywhere, people. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's so much momentum around this space. Uh, I see this, you know, as being more of a blip than a complete shakeup of the space, the industry, the direction, the trajectory. I don't know. I, I, so, any, any thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm pontificating well, it's, a lot. But. Look, I, it, it's it's hard enough just keeping up with 
ignite announcements, let alone co-pilot <laughs> announcements. Yeah. Let alone uh, what, what is happening in the, Norm, the rest of how are you not an the... expert in all this? Come on. No. <laughs> I know what I know, and I barely know what I know. So it's yeah. uh, uh, no, it's it's too hard to keep up with. Uh, however, uh, having AI go into uh, any type of black box where you can't see um, what the underpinnings are on, on some type of open source standard, I don't think is good for the world. Uh, yeah. Yes, there will be a commercialization of of open AI, and that's fine because it's going to be product based. But uh, those standards that uh, help instill some type of trustworthiness into it, I, I think, are important to keep open. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, and I, I think Microsoft is, they're trying to be at the forefront of the ethics around AI, but that needs to, having participated in a couple different industries with these standard bodies, um, I was part of, I don't know if you know this about me, I was part of the uh, uh, Global Grid Forum uh, 20 years ago. I was on the Marketing Awareness Council. So um, going way back, if anybody remembers, uh, you know, GMAC and at the GGF, but yeah, so that, and uh, I was in for another company that I worked for was in the banking standards. Um, so working with Visa and Schwab and a few other huge vendors in the, uh, um, you know, early digital banking um, right. was also part of my, my history um, and participating in some of the uh, industry standards around that. My point is that they work when it's a neutral body guiding that because then they can get competing different voices involved. You limit the differing voices by moving in the direction of any one ecosystem or partner like Microsoft. So it's, it's important that it remains open and separate from any one company or ecosystem. Agreed. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll uh, maybe provide an update to all this. Maybe we won't even talk about Copilot. Maybe it won't come up in our next month's discussion. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> doubtful, folks. It's Yes, it's, it's very doubtful. Microsoft world is all things Copilot now. But, well, Norm, really appreciate your time, as always. And uh, until the, uh, I think the next time I see you will be, next year at one of these other events oh boy yeah it's gonna snow be will be on the ground enjoy and uh, we'll talk to you soon thanks for having me you've been listening to the collab talk podcast new episodes are published weekly and you can find us on spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms thanks for listening